Friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney, and we're recording today here in beautiful Amiskwichi, Wiskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, Alberta. Joining me today for the second time and bringing us to uh, two consecutive podcasts in a row featuring hosts from the Kino Lepter podcast, let us welcome Laura Cruz back to the pod. Laura, how are you? Hey, how's it going? I'm in, uh, I'm in the core zone. I've got maximum Q clearance. Uh, we're ready to rock. We're ready to enter uh, phase four of truth discovery. Yes. And if you cannot tell by that intro from Laura, we are talking about conspiracy <laughs> theories today. Uh, Laura is um, an enthusiastic uh, what would you, I wouldn't say believer. That's probably the wrong <laughs> phrase. Tr- I'm, I'm a student. <laughs> I'm a student and enthusiast of the conspiracy genre. A scholar. I, I do You're have a some, scholar yeah. and a gentleman. I wish I had that much distance on it, but I will say I do. Uh, I have, I have taken some red pills, not all, but definitely uh, I have some on my, on my vitamin stand. Yeah, and so the, the reason why we are talking about conspiracy theories on this episode of the Progress Report is that Laura recently wrote a story for us um, about uh, that kind of touches on a conspiracy theory. It's titled McKinsey, Bread Crimes, and the UCP's Upcoming in- Evisceration of Alberta's Post-Secondary System, and it'll obviously be in the show notes, but this is the start of something of a, of a continued collaboration between us, Laura, and why don't you mm-hmm. kind of tell us about this column and what you've called it and kind of what you want, uh, how you want to kind of go about it, what you want to explore. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I've called it the red string after, you know, the string that people use to show that it's all connected, man, to circle things and uh, connect the dots in between uh, disparate, you know, levers of power. And uh, I think for me, what what is interesting about conspiracy in general is that um, it's an exploration of Uh, shadowy forces, right? And I think that, um, like we're going to talk about today, there are like reasons that people on the right in particular uh, tend to be the most connected with conspiracy theory, you know, your Alex Jones and whatnot. But I think uh, for people on the left, it's also a very valuable uh, thing to explore. And just because uh, a lot of this, a lot of the time power is obscured, but it's also out in the open. You know, it's it's kind of this process of like manufacturing consent that the media goes through to kind of obscure the relationships between powerful players. And I think that conspiracy, uh, it kind of opens a door for you to be able to explore and look at these things and find the connections. And uh, it's also just like really fun. I mean, I think understanding and learning about conspiracy theories really provides, you know, uh, a lot of insight into modern North American political culture. Like I think, I think conspiracy theories are a lot more popular than left-wing politics are, uh, but they are kind of like uh, two sides of the same coin. And and we we will kind of um, get into, you know, why, why the people who believe in conspiracy theories aren't necessarily wrong, at least, uh, you know, for that initial, uh, you know, dive that that initial twinge when they realize that something when they realize that something is not right so laura i want to get into your story a bit later on but i think that it's time to strap in uh, for some game theory or in this case conspiracy theory theory and get into um you know laura's unified theory of lizard people as well as a bit <laughs> of kind of like history of conspiracy theories in north america so why don't why don't we get into that for a sec. So 
the first kind of really modern conspiracy theory in North America is, you know, the Masons. The, the Masons are, you know, responsible for all of the bad shit that happens. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, these modern conspiracy theories around the Masons really start with the advent of newspaper culture and really the rise of like financial and industrial capitalism in North America, right? Like folks are being forced, you know, off of the land, they're moving into dense cities, they're working in, you know, mechanic shops or factories. Mass media. And, uh, yeah, newspapers become these these huge uh, engines of kind of communications and people, and there's massive upheaval in the world, right? And people need to start explaining why shit is changing and getting worse, why their lives are getting worse. And when you're not explaining things with a class lens or, you know, with a critique of capitalism, which I don't think a lot of, you know, Canadians and North Americans were in 1830, one of the, the first things that people grasped onto was the Masons, right? Uh, you know, there were Masons involved in the French Revolution. The American Revolution was shot through with Masons. And it wasn't much different in Canada. Like, how many of the fathers of the Confederation were, were Masons? 30% of them. Yeah. And and six different prime ministers have been Masons, including uh, John A. Macdonald, everyone's favorite, and John Diefenbaker. And you know, you know what I think about the Masons is it's just like uh, the landed gentry and like rich wasps, they love to have like little dress up parties. That's their big thing. They love to have uh things where they get together with their boys no ladies and um like put on fun hats and have ceremonies yeah dicks out get drunk uh yeah exactly (laughs) and exactly and i mean they're you're totally right about funny hats like the shriners literally are masons like that is like it's like 17th level like you got if you want to be a shriner you really got to like put time in at the lower levels of masonry to really get to shriner (laughs) level because those guys are like they're they're uber powerful you know like super super high up in the in the hierarchy mm-hmm. but like you know the masons were uh you know a convenient thing for people to grasp onto right and, and it really was the kind of like og north american conspiracy theory and and you know william Lyon mckenzie one of the primary folks behind the upper canada rebellion and guy who was a journalist uh who talked a lot of shit actually who before he settled down and became a kind of respectable member of society and you know, an MP and stuff. Also, incidentally, Prime Minister William Lyon Mackenzie King's grandfather. He was all about this Mason shit. And he published story after story about the abduction and supposed murder of a guy named William Morgan, who had published a whole bunch of like, uh, you know, a book on the secrets of Masonry. And, uh, you know, it was, it really was the like, the kind of like first, the first instance I can find in kind of Canadian history of, of this like modern conspiracy theory. Yeah, and I also heard from someone who was a Mason um, that uh, Bill Clinton is also uh, part of the Masons and that when the Monica scandal broke out, he was signaling to his boys using a Masonic sign. I'm doing it with my hands, but this is an audio uh, medium. Uh, when he was up and giving his testimony, uh, allegedly he was flashing a, a triangle symbol with his hands, um, which is a- allegedly, according to this Mason that I was talking to, a uh, sign to fellow brothers I- in their organization that he was in trouble and that um, this was a kind of plot to bring him down. 
Um, so yeah, I, I don't know for sure. <laughs> I was I was doing my research on on the Masons to see if he was listed officially, and there's lots of unconfirmed uh, sources of dubious nature. But that's where uh, that's where us in the conspiracy field really like to uh, live. There you go. I mean, there's a whole host of like secret Mason handshakes and shit, but I mean, I don't really give a shit. Really, the only thing I care about when it comes to the Masons is the Stonecutters episode of The Simpsons, which is, <laughs> still holds up to this day and is very, very good. Uh, okay, so Masons, we're past Masons now. And I think if we're, if we're taking a walk through kind of conspiracy theory history, the kind of like next big... Uh, like conspiracy theory that pops up is you know uh, there's really no way around it but just like anti-semitism fascism the jews are everywhere Mm -hmm. and controlling everything Uh, have you heard of a man named uh, henry ford i have once or twice he was a huge anti-semite and every (laughs) every time you bought a a ford model t you got a subscription to like the international Jew. <laughs> that would be so weird to just get your like Honda Civic and get like bourgeois communist um, monthly. I love that. Or just straight propaganda. Like it was, it was reprinting <laughs> the like protocols of the elders of Zion and Fuck. like, you know, Henry Ford. I mean, he collaborated with the Nazis. He obviously thought they were very cool and good. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, like in, in the thirties in the twenties and thirties, you know, in North America, you do see this kind of, rise of fascism and anti-Semitism, obviously alongside, you know, the Great Depression, right? And, uh, you know, just just like as we saw in the 1830s or whatever with the Masons, you know, shit was changing. The, the, the Great Depression was happening. Mm-hmm. There was turmoil and tumult and people needed a way to explain the world around them. Uh, in the 30s, though, what we did have to kind of counteract fascism and anti-Semitism was a strong labor movement and a labor movement that was, you know, really out on the march and, you know, organizing people and people and improving, you know, the material conditions of people's lives through collective struggle. Mm -hmm. And that really is the kind of best way to kind of counteract uh, conspiracy theories, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that in this, in this way, I think you have a quote in here in our notes from, uh, Austrian Democrat Ferdinand Kronawetter, sorry for my terrible uh, German, but it says anti-Semitism is the socialism of fools. And I think that's a really um, nice way to kind of understand uh, that when leftists talk about this like power that's trying to dominate the world, it's about class, right? It's about the ruling class. And when people are kind of struggling to grasp that or are alienated from um, people around them and and view their struggle as singular, then it can turn very easily into looking at, um, you know, people whose motivations don't really make a lot of sense. Um, they just want to destroy the world because they're Satan or whatever, uh, which we can get into later. But uh, yeah, yeah, and I think even that that phrase works when you just put when you substitute conspiracy theories instead of anti-Semitism. Like conspiracy theories are the socialism of fools, right? Like people have realized Hard disagree, that, but okay. <laughs> but, but people people have realized that something is wrong, yeah, right? Like at the of core course. of why people believe in conspiracy theories is that they've realized that they are, you know, alienated from the way that the world works, the way the economy works, the way that powerful, you know, institutions are able to exert their will on them. They realize that that, that is happening but then like like the fools part right they've they've turned to the wrong 
they've expressed their anger and their alienation on the wrong target. Yeah, absolutely. I think that a lot of times, um, you know, this is where I think it's actually very valuable to also look at right wing thinkers, because I think descriptively, um, they can explain the problem quite well. It's the problem comes from like, understanding what the prescriptive solutions to it are and i think that that's what conspiracy theories also grapple with right like there's a deep state that's controlling the world that's a hundred percent true uh is donald trump trying to uh you know root it out and bring you know peace and prosperity and may a thousand flowers bloom or whatever no (laughs) exactly and and if you kind of consider the the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories for a second, they they fall apart, right? If there's any type of material or class analysis, it's like, why would the Jews simultaneously want to destroy the world through Judeo-Bolshevism or communism? And then also by by finance capital and the banks and like, you know, the Rothschilds or whatever, right? Like pick your pick your uh, you know, Jew banker conspiracy theory. It's it's incoherent. <laughs> it, it falls apart in a second if you think about it, right? Yeah, George Soros. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you just the conspiracy at, at the core of all conspiracy theories is this this idea that you need to find this incohate other that you know just wants to watch the bur- the world burn you know with mm-hmm. Satan right if, if if I don't have to justify this person's like reasons for acting then you're justified in using all means necessary to destroy it mm-hmm. right and that like, that was what was so scary about fascism yeah absolutely like they and and you can see kind of shadows of it obviously not in the kind of systematized way that uh the nazis uh engaged in you know genocide um but you can still see this kind of very inflamed rhetoric throughout um something like q right like they're killing kids they're killing babies literal like child sacrifice eating their brains while they're alive (laughs) making them as terrified as possible to get their adrenochrome like hillary clinton literally you know pulls the skin off babies and wears it on her face you know and in that kind of environment any force is absolutely okay because these these people are you know an alex jones voice they're literally demons literally demons they're they're yeah no they're monsters they're you are justified in using all means necessary to crush these people if they are eating babies alive or or whatever right well i also think that something about conspiracy is it's more of like a spectator sport so yes you know i think this uh um you know conspiracies have their political utility in terms of you know the uh if there's a a you know, let's return back to the to the question of Q, right? I was listening to a really excellent um, episode of True and On where they were talking about how quite major players got involved in propagating uh, Q and Q ideas. Um, and uh, they they were speculating basically that, you know, the fact that the Drudge Report and WikiLeaks and all these other people that were um, kind of bringing these things to light and how quickly it spread, it might be because there was some kind of like campaign dirty tricks because the right wing um, realized that Q is very, very useful for them politically. But the thing is, is that that justifies power taking, um, that justifies like them on the powerful side being able to to do whatever they want, right? It doesn't mean that you as an individual individual actor have any more um control over the situation right yeah like like conspiracy theories are passive uh, uh, for the most part right they do they want you to kind of document it and bear witness is kind mm-hmm. of the like the, the only thing that a conspiracy theory really asks of you right which is why it's so comforting and why it's such a de- an effective demotivating force for collective action or people coming together exploited people coming together and organizing right is that like 
you know, if all I have to do is is post uh, about, you know, <laughs> the bad people, then I don't actually have to, you know, talk to my neighbors or my coworkers or the people who share my values, uh, you know. On Are this you issue. telling me and posting is not activism? Posting is not praxis, but... <laughs> But, you know, the, the, the communist kind of uh, uh, and the Judeo-Bolshevism uh, kind of conspiracy theory kind of falls apart post-World War II, right? Like the, the Holocaust and the genocide perpetrated upon the Jews uh, really means that you can't be an overtly anti-Semitic anymore, right? And, mm-hmm. and the bad guy in conspiracy theory now becomes communists and, mm-hmm. you know, fluoride in the water and, uh, you know, the paranoia of, you know, the 50s and the 60s. Mm-hmm. And the seventies, and the and the overwhelming kind of uh, state power that was brought forward by you know you know the United States and the UK to crush the left in any kind of form, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Totally. And that that is what leads us to conspiracy theories that are not actually conspiracy theories, and that actually happened. <laughs> well, I, yeah, and I think that like the conspiracy theories that we're about to talk about, they were all in response to this like Judeo Bolshevism hysteria, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing, the things we're going to talk about are like you wouldn't believe they were real unless there was like actual documented evidence. Like I like, would, but oh, yeah. <laughs> I have a broken brain. <laughs> But but like COINTELPRO or like Operation Midnight Climax or MK Ultra, like like these are the these are the this is like bad fiction when you actually read it, but it like actually happened, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't we take a, a walk through some of these things? What was uh, kind of COINTELPRO? COINTELPRO was like a extensive uh, surveillance and like bad jacketing operation to like disrupt uh, leftist movements. So they used it against the Black Panthers quite famously. And what does that mean? Like, what does bad jacketing mean? What was what were the, like some of the tactics they used that were uh, notable? Um, I don't know COINTELPRO as much as the as Operation Climax and MK Ultra. Um, I think bad jacketing is basically starting rumors within an organization about um like other people in it uh, to kind of create internal divisions and uh, let the let the organization basically eat itself. Yeah, and like it was very famously used on the Black Panthers, and then did actually result in some deaths. But Operation Midnight Climax was a part of COINTELPRO, right? And this was—I uh, didn't know that. I thought it was MK Ultra. Oh, maybe it was MK. Maybe I'm mixing up my my American yeah. anti left wing conspiracy theories. But this one is absolutely <laughs> fucking wild, right? Like <laughs> this like, is a great one. So the CIA. Is, Sets up shop in a bordello in like San Francisco and they renovate That's a fancy it. name for a whorehouse. Whorehouse, yeah. And they <laughs> set up two-way mirrors and cameras. And then they they have the sex workers in on the gig and it's they essentially douse their clients in LSD after they the, their work is done. Mm-hmm. And then they would like observe them and document them. And it was all kind of like a part of a of a like a brainwashing or a, like how to how to like what LSD would do to people and whether it would help they, you like interrogate yeah, people. Exactly. They were trying to discover a truth serum that they could use if they had, you know, um enemy combatants or communists spies that were uh in the in the Americas um so that they could, you know, douse them douse them with L- LSD and then see if they could get the truth about what they were doing out. 
yeah, this is not a conspiracy. This happened. Mm -hmm. like, like we, there are like, you know, stamped papers from the United States government that says yeah. that the CIA, uh, yeah, we actually did this. I mean, it sounds a lot like um, just like idiot frat boy CIA guys just like, you know, getting their rocks off with sex workers and having the government pay for it. I mean, but they did I, also do that. <laughs> but I like, I don't imagine a lot of like a actionable research was done in this environment. You know what I mean? Well, like psychological testing was such a wild west. Like if you think about things that are not CIA, like the Stanford prison experiment, other things like that, where they would just basically like torture and humiliate people and be like, hmm, interesting. I wonder what happens when we fuck children up. Let's take a look. Pretty yeah, crazy. Yeah, like the government in the name of fighting communism, the US government was willing to kind of just, uh, you know, stick their finger into the brain of random citizens and Absolutely. swirl it and swirl it around and mm -hmm. see what happened. Yeah. But, uh, but if, okay, so if Clim Midnight Climax was under MK Ultra, what was? MK Ultra. MK Ultra was a very extensive program of trying to learn how to undo um, brainwashing. So there was this fear in the Red Scare that um, soldiers who had been captured in the Korean War were sent, uh, they sent videos or recordings home of them professing um, to be in support of communism now. And so um, the common uh, refrain was that they were brainwashed and now they believe these things unequivocally. So they were trying to figure out how it was that they could basically take a person like erase them like erase their personalities erase their um their memories and kind of rebuild uh, a person so um actually quite a few of the experiments took place at mcgill university in the um psych uh, psychology department there and um what they would do was all manner of things, right? They would um, dose them with like huge amounts of um, LSD, given electric, uh, electric shocks, isolation chambers. Um, they would sometimes like they wanted to, uh, you know, that very common kind of cartoon thing of listening to a tape on loop under your pillow or whatever. They were doing that. But the thing is, is that people like didn't want to listen, like stay still and listen to things. So they would often put radios in like football helmets and lock them on their heads and just repeat um, phrases on a loop um, and like debase people and like try to bombard them with um, messages about how they were terrible and then, you know, counter that with positive messagings, all to see if they could basically um, rewire someone. And these, uh, the people that were experimented on, this is a lot of times people that were just going in because they had postpartum depression or, you know, schizophrenia and they were seeking treatment and then they were experimented on in this very brutal and grisly way. And, uh, you know, some of them um, never recovered from this kind of psych psychological torture psychological and physical torture as uh, really like dark chapter in um, like Canadian history as well. And I don't think that that uh, Montreal connection or that McGill connection is brought up enough. I believe that there's still a street um, in Montreal that's named after the doctor who conducted those experiments in conjunction with the CIA. Ah, good times. <laughs> yeah, this, this, I mean, all manner of horrible things were justified uh, under this kind of like anti-communist rubric, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, and the kind of modern capitalist, liberal, democratic state, free market used, you know, whatever covert means that were necessary uh, to crush communism, right? Because if communism succeeded through democracy, then, uh, then obviously the, the, their system was a, 
wasn't the best one. wasn't mm-hmm. wasn't the, the one <laughs> true way, and uh, and 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 that leads us to like some of the wilder ones that I've only kind of heard about recently. But like mm-hmm. Gladio is like all sorts of fucked up. Do you have a kind of Cole's notes of Gladio? Mm-hmm. So Gladio was basically a um, internationalist, like right wing op to disrupt any kind of um, left wing organizing and communist uh, governance, pardon me, in especially Italy, but all over the world, potentially. Um, so they did all kinds of really fucked up things. The Vatican was involved. Uh, they would operate through the Masonic temple. <laughs> Just Me saying, too, it's pretty yeah. stuff. <laughs> Sus. Um, so they, they operated through uh, the Masonic temple and they did all kinds of like murders and like random acts of terror that they would blame onto uh, left-wing agitators just to basically like create this complete uh, environment of, of fear and this desire for, you know, a strong patriarchal strong man to be able to kind of take, um, power back and be able to kind of assert control over this very unstable environment but there were like weapons caches Mm -hmm. and like and like like all over western europe that these gladio Mm -hmm. folks had kind of set up in case you know the revolution ever happened right it was it was set up to you know immediately counter any type of successful uh either democratic or otherwise you know move towards anything resembling you know a left-wing vision of the world mm-hmm. which uh i don't think it's and, and the the actual murders that were done in their name like there's a whole bunch of very shady very sus shit out of italy that is that has been talked about a lot um, by other people very well researched that is like pretty fucking uh inexplicable unless it was gladio you know yeah and uh, I think it's kind of a, and the thing is, is that we don't actually know that much about Gladio. There's so many things that probably have happened that have been Gladio and you can only kind of uh, speculate and you'll never know. So it's just about like using what, what you have and trying to kind of piece together the rest in a plausible way. Yeah. And the final kind of like red scare conspiracy theory that's not a conspiracy theory is, is something that's been popularized by a recent book. And it was uh, it's a book called The Jakarta Method by Vincent Bevins. And this is nothing too fancy. It really is just the whole scale slaughter, secret slaughter of communists or suspected communists. And this was, you know, a million people were murdered in Indonesia, uh, which is the third largest country in the world by population in the 60s uh, in order to uh, you know, uh, implant this friendly U.S. dictator. And uh, again, not a conspiracy theory, like a million communists or suspected communists were just straight up like murdered and thrown into ditches or the river uh, in order to install, uh, in order to fight communism and in order to install a friendly uh, U.S. dictator. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of uh, method uh, was imported all over the world or exported all over the world, pardon me, um, to, you know, all over South America, people were doing the same things. You know, we've got the helicopter flights of, you know, communists and socialists uh, being thrown into the into the sea off of helicopters and uh, this like reign of terror, I believe. I think Bevins talked once about how when Bolsonaro was taking control of uh, Brazil, they were spray painting Jakarta in uh Jakarta is coming. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, pretty scary and dark to see this kind of um, very uh, organized, um, extreme right 
power, um, kind of cr- trying to crush any semblance of any kind of communist uh, government at all. Exactly. And, and these things, you know, all actually happened and, you know, we, I mean, demonstrate that the lengths that the modern capitalist liberal democratic state will go using covert means and their intelligence services to crush, you know, the success of left wing ideas, mm-hmm. um, you know, around the world. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the quote from Matt Chrisman is, you know, democracy is necessary to give capitalism legitimacy, but democracy can't be allowed to actually threaten capitalism. Mm. I mean, I think it, it's all a strat to keep, you know, democracy from from getting uh, too big for its britches and people actually coming together and demanding things that actually threaten you know, powerful interests. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's something that you saw in uh, Bolivia very recently was this um, uh, effort or this successful effort, this coup that was undertaken by, you know, Christian, very right wing um, uh, factions against the indigenous uh, socialist leader of the country, Evo Morales. And um, he they they basically stopped the uh, stopped the count for the election. Um, the organization of American states, mostly uh, U.S. funded, um, raised speculation as to if it was uh, a legal election or not. Morales instantly says, "No problem, we can do a recount." Uh, but the army was like, no, you got to get out of here. So um, it was completely overthrown. And now the New York Times, you know, six months later, surprise, surprise, posting um, articles saying, hmm, doesn't seem like there was a lot of evidence for this OAS uh, claim that that democracy wasn't being followed. And yeah, it just goes to show that this stuff is far from over. I think that a lot of times people will will know um, these, these kind of... Uh, if you want to forgive my uh, my elitism here, but these intro level conspiracies and think that they're you know Cold War relics, but this shit is going on um, forever probably until we actually are able to assert some kind of left wing control and get control of this like uh, shadow government that basically the CIA runs Mossad, all those kinds of things. Yeah, the. The Bolivian example is, I mean, yeah, just like super recent and modern and, and you know, a case again of, of you know, the, the modern mainstream media being unable uh, or unwilling to uh, kind of actually call out reality as it is objectively happening in front of us. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, this Jakarta method stuff and the, it really, I think, bears further investigation. Like 20 countries apparently used the strategies and there was this like international kind of like anti-communist network mm-hmm. uh, that got together at parties and conventions and like, you know, uh, ate canapes together and discussed uh, the best ways of kind of secretly murdering suspected communists. That's what they talk about at the Bilderberg conference, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, which Jason Kenney has attended. He has, yep. Yeah, and they invite uh, Kissinger every single year. Yeah, so moving a a bit of away from the Red Scare, because we're we're approaching the, like, 80s now, and, you know, communism kind of fades back as a threat. And one thing that really does pop up in the 80s here in North America is the satanic panic. Mm -hmm. And uh, it it is a really interesting conspiracy, kind of almost mass hysteria event as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that satanic panic is interesting because it's more of a 
cultural phenomenon that had um, real impacts. I think it's it is class based, as we'll see later on, where the fear kind of manifests and who gets punished by it. Um, but it kind of falls in with that. Um, we're approaching in the eighties, like the 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 end of the Cold War and the beginning of the complete domination of of liberal uh, capitalist democracy all over the world. And um, so I think that you know a moral panic basically is uh, this like widespread fear about like threats to society. So um, usually these are propagated by like moral entrepreneurs, like think Oprah and those kinds of folks in the mass media. So. I know when I was a teenager, the really big thing that everyone was scared about was rainbow parties. Do you remember this? Yeah, I went to several. No, yeah. (laughs) So a rainbow party was basically, it's oftentimes things that kids are doing too, right? So um, uh, rainbow parties are when you go, the girls put on different lipstick and they engage in, um, you know, an act between two people that love each other very much involving the mouth and try to see who can get the furthest down and, you know, create a rainbow. So that was, I don't think that that ever happened, but you know, that was a thing that everyone was talking about and everyone was scared of. There was also, I never, I never thought it could happen to me. Um, there was also that Momo challenge thing that went around uh, yeah. where apparently like people were, uh, I forget how it worked, but it, I think it was a text-based game that basically ended in trying to make you kill yourself. And if you saw this woman, you were killed or whatever. Um, yeah, there was that clown scare that happened a few years ago. I was personally terrified of the clowns. I fucking hate clowns, but um, I didn't see one, so... <laughs> I consider myself lucky. Never Uh, saw a clown on the side of the road just waving to you. Just fuck. (laughs) God, I hope I hope I never do. Uh, And then stuff like there's other stuff like violence in video games uh, causing the Columbine shooting that caused a big uproar. Um, What's her face? Tipper Gore. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, um, this the moral panic about satanic ritual abuse reached its height in the nine in the eighties. Sorry, in the early nineties. Uh, but kind of a lot of different cultural threads kind of led uh, to this uh, environment where this could thrive. So I'd say um, for me, like what I think about is interest in the occult, like arising out of this fear of the hippies, and. Um, hippie movement very interesting we can talk about laurel canyon in a little bit and the conspiracy theories that emerge about uh the hippie movement possibly being a cia op um but yeah the manson family murders made everyone very afraid of this movement and um anton levey who was the uh founder of the modern Ch- modern church of satan uh he started that church in 1966 and they're just like mostly libertarian nerds like they're not really <laughs> anything to worry about but they are around there's definitely they just one hate in- god so much <laughs> They're all like, do what thou wilt, kind of. That's their that's oh, their yeah. thing. Okay, but they okay. have um, they don't even hate God. They just like, they just like are kind of they're kind of edge lords, to be honest with you. Um, they're not they like really to trigger people. Yeah, they like to trigger people and like have this like reaction to like. And I think it was most popular at the like the height of um like Christian fundamentalism too. Like I'm sure there was a big spike in. I think maybe new atheism took over from. Uh, people who are interested in Satanism because they kind of share the same DNA to me. 
but you're you're saying that there was this this broad you know hysteria and modern panic or yeah. moral panic over over you know ritualistic murder of children and exactly. like Dungeons and Dragons and yep. pre, uh, you know like witches and warlocks and Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. and all that shit, right? Yeah, absolutely. And this was also in the age of like stranger danger, fearing your neighbor, uh, kids on the milk carton. This kind of this kind of environment where. Um, you know, the communist is mostly out, but the danger is all around you and it's in the suburbs, right? Yeah, because so, people were, people had to, you know, you had to, you have to have two incomes now to support each other, right? Because, you know, Ronald Reagan and Margaret Thatcher had eviscerated the, the social mm-hmm. safety net and the, the kind of the society where one income earner could take care of an entire family. And now you've got to put your kids in daycare. You're not seeing them all the time. Who's taking care of them? What do they believe? You know, that kind of shit. <laughs> exactly. Also, I don't know. I mean, Abdul from my podcast would say it was lead in the water, but, um, and I don't know <laughs> that for sure, but uh, there were so many cults and like, like Jonestown Massacre and all that kind of stuff. Also, all these serial killers, so many of them in the 60s and 70s that also received like mass uh, attention. Um, And I think that real watershed moment for the satanic panic was um, in the in 1980, uh, Michelle Remembers uh, was published, which is like a a memoir about a a woman who went through uh, regression therapy. So she went under hypnosis and uncovered all these memories. And uh, uh, it was about, you know, being being witness to satanic ritual abuse and uh basically it was almost discredited as soon as it came out regression therapy not real if anyone's trying to implant memories in you uh you know that's that's definitely not gonna work as we saw with mk ultra uh but this book kind of uh formed the basis of a lot of um the the court documents and the court proceedings that ended up um, arising from these these folks who would basically like a lot of uh, people who were uh, mentally ill were coaching their children to say that they were say- seeing things like uh, being forced to drink blood, uh, being hung by their backs on hooks uh, in, in daycares. And between 1984 and 1986, 26 people went to prison. Um, also, obviously, like most of these all of these uh, um, convictions have been overturned, but it was not for a long time. Like some folks were in serving their prison sentence for up to 20 years. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Jeez. And I, I think that it's also worth noting here um, that there was a journalist. I actually just heard about this um, on Chapo Trap House yesterday. They had a great episode about uh, the Maple Gladio shooting that uh, people are talking about, the Nova Scotia mass shooting um, that's got Mm -hmm. its connections to uh, the RCMP. Um, They were talking about kind of Canadian conspiracy and, and, how it all kind of ties together uh, here as well. And they were talking about uh, a journalist named uh, Debbie Nathan, who was a feminist journalist, uh, but she was, she basically was covering the satanic panic and was purged from the ranks, right? Especially by confirmed CIA spook and cultural ambassador, uh, Gloria Steinem. And uh, Debbie says, to right-wing Christian fundamentalists steeped in lore about devils and stewing with hostility towards public childcare, it was hard not to embrace the notion of Satan infiltrating daycare centers. Uh, yeah, good and times. I, yeah, <laughs> I think it's super interesting too because um, how even this cultural force, right? It ultimately becomes weaponized against people of color, poor people, 
um, you know, migrant workers who are the ones that are put in charge of caring for their children because that is such a devalued um, uh, work workforce in general. And also because of this like right wing belief in like not using these uh, public services. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause childcare is bad. Um, and I mean, it's, it's funny cause you know, Reagan and Thatcher were set on, you know, destroying the labor movement and forcing people to join the workforce essentially because they had to, mm-hmm. but then they were also not interested in providing, you know, a, a public option when it came to childcare. Mm-hmm. And then you've got this uh, fucked up society trying to grapple with this change and, and it, it ends up in a conspiracy theory as we always see. Yep. Uh, so we move on to the kind of like golden age of conspiracy theories. And really when I kind of became aware uh, of, of conspiracy theories, and that is, you know, the nineties and uh, really, um, you know, tinfoil hats at the end of history, right? The United States has crushed the Soviet union. It is now the, the global cop capitalist hegemony reigns. And, uh, and, and what has, re- and, and we can kind of just go through the, the kind of bad guys that we've had in these conspiracy theories. You know, we started with Masons, we moved on to Jews, then communists, then, you know, the communist reaction. Uh, then in the eighties we had, you know, daycares and, um, the satanic panic and now aliens. And, yeah, no, uh, this is completely like inscrutable uh motivationless uh force that is descending on the people yeah aliens really kind of enter the discourse as the kind of like you know the prime movers in so many various conspiracy theories right crop circles and cattle mutilation cattle mutilations and mutilations and you know, Alex Jones really starts up and X-Files, you know, enters the pop culture. And that's really neat. I mean, when I say I became interested in conspiracy theories, it was through X-Files, right? Yeah, totally. I will say, though, that aliens have been around since um, the early 60s encounters, encounters of the third kind. And um, there's also there's actually like I, I didn't know this, but there's like the first kind, second kind, and third kind. Like there's actual distinctions. <laughs> I don't know what they are off the top of my head, but a third kind encounter is uh, actually like going and speaking to them, maybe going to the ship, maybe having sex with them sometimes. Um, yeah, maybe just maybe just vibing, playing some guitar, <laughs> smoking weed, like hanging out, <laughs> watching a movie. Um, that would be cool. Um, but you know, for dur- during a lot of the Cold War, when people would report these. Um, these encounters they would be positive right and it would be like the alien would come get you um you'd hang out you'd vibe and they'd show you a psa video about why we shouldn't have nuclear nuclear bombs and um then later on like maybe to kind of coincide with this uh reaganomics kind of fear of uh the suburbs and fear of your neighbor it becomes more um, dark and scary and abduction. You know, abduction. This Escape. is where the probes, yeah, medicalization, all those kinds of things. So that even even the ways that people interact with the aliens has changed with changing mores, right? Yeah, like aliens were definitely around prior to the 1990s. Like, you know, Roswell was, the stuff around Roswell started popping up in the 60s or whatever, I think originally, right? But it didn't really kind of enter mainstream consciousness until the 90s. And I think, you know, we, the, the Soviet Union needed to be defeated, you know, and, and, you know, 
for aliens to come and take their place. But again, the, the 90s come happen and, you know, George H.W. Bush says, you know, the new world order and a bunch of people freak out about that. And, you know, David Icke, and his, <laughs> David Icke and his lizard people theory, mm-hmm. you know, shows up. And I actually had an old roommate who uh, believed in like the whole David Icke thing and would make me watch the videos and stuff and like paid money to the whatever the whatever the thing was. I don't know how we got into it. But, uh, <laughs> he he but, could see the truth. He saw he could see their LCD projectors uh, glitching sometimes. <laughs> but the David Icke thing and even and even the broader like Epstein stuff around, you know, that there's a coterie or a, a circle of ultra powerful, ultra rich pedophiles uh is 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 not the lizard people thing is becoming more and more kind of borne out over time but definitely the ultra rich ultra powerful pedophiles seems to be becoming reality as as more and more stuff comes out and this is what i kind of mean about my unified theory of lizard people like i think that the phrase lizard people is has its utility because it's um it kind of points to this idea around the ultra powerful the ultra wealthy being this very kind of um, remote and um, inhuman and extractive force I also think that's why the adrenochrome stuff uh, is very compelling to me because it's literally about sucking the life force out of people which is what I think a lot of people feel under the alienation that they're suffering when they're just shuffling from their like job that doesn't pay them enough back to their you know one bedroom apartment where they can't even go anywhere now because of the uh, uh, 5g coronavirus um so there's there's like i think that lizard people to me is very emblematic of the way that um we can understand a class lens on things obviously i don't think that they're actual lizard people who like take off their skin suits though you know prove me wrong um my dms <laughs> are open <laughs> the truth or line is taking requests so if you have uh, video documented <laughs> evidence of lizard people please I, dm I was... saturn under saturn return <laughs> I was watching because I also I always love watching the like Obama shapeshifts <laughs> videos where it's just a grainy video of him like chewing and you can see his temple move or whatever. <laughs> I do enjoy <laughs> watching those quite a bit. And and this '90s is such a kind of alienating time, right? Mm-hmm. Like George H. W. Bush campaigns on NAFTA, you know, eats shit, people hate it. Clinton comes in and probably passes NAFTA. Mm-hmm. Right. And and I think you were completely justified in feeling totally alienated from politics and society. Right. Jobs were starting to be offshore. People were losing their jobs. Uh, you know, politics doesn't seem to fucking matter. Who you vote in doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And so aliens or lizard people or whatever becomes this avatar for the, the supernatural power that governments and now, for the most part, corporations hold over us. Right. And and the nine and, and the 90s are such a kind of fruitful time for conspiracies because it really the, the the whole Francis Fukuyama end of history thing really did I think psychically affect a lot of people right if there was no more bad guy to fight if the commies were dead and 
I don't know, like this, it, it got transposed on the aliens, but I don't think, I don't think it took, and I don't think people enjoyed not having a kind of clear, identifiable human enemy. You know what I mean? Well, I think that it's like that Adam Curtis hyper normalization theory that kind of at the end of the 80s and the beginning of the 90s, everything started basically running on a wire, right? Like there was this, this understanding that shit uh, wasn't, what it seemed and there was this theater um that was being created to kind of give the um illusion of of politics happening so when you think about the obama or or the clinton years pardon me um you think about the scandals whitewater lewinsky all those other things that are actually quite like nothing quite boring quite boring and tame actually um unless you want to get into the clinton body count but um, that's another as another podcast um but uh yeah this this kind of idea that there's this like new world order or this like external factor now that's that's kind of pulling the strings is is compelling because everything else is just like it's on a wire it doesn't matter you can't affect it it's just moving forward Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's why the '90s, I think, are this this kind of deeply where where conspiracy theories really enter the mainstream uh, and become these kind of popular parts of popular culture. But I mean, what I just talked about, like people feeling alienated and, and not having a, a human target to focus their ire on. Well, you know, for some people, uh, this is very convenient. Nine uh, Eleven happens, mm-hmm. and you know, Muslims quickly replace aliens and take over, you know, the, the popular image, imagine, take over in the popular imagination as the kind of big bad. Mm-hmm. And as a reaction to 9-11, you know, you, you end up seeing kind of like 9-11 trutherism, right? People working backwards from the events, you know, oh, gee, you know, George uh, W. Bush is sure benefited from this. Oh, gee, the, you know, military industrial complex uh, sure is is benefiting from this war in Iraq that wasn't even a part of 9-11 yeah. and kind of seeing weird these material had, conditions. Weird that they go had ahead. the Patriot Act basically ready to go. Yeah, like I guess all this shit just happens <laughs> post 9-11, uh, which, you know, and left-wing conspiracy theories kind of like show up uh, to kind of fill this space, right? This is when we see, you know, the popularity of, of loose change and, you know, uh, jet fuel doesn't melt steel beams. Mm-hmm. And I know this is when you originally became red-pilled, right? So why don't you kind of take <laughs> us through your 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 journey here in, in the, into kind of this this world? Because I, I kind of was mostly tuned out at this point. I was in college and smoking a lot of weed and mm-hmm. was not, this was not my way. And I was already into aliens. And shit, so. <laughs> I was quite little when uh, 9-11 happened. I was only 12. So I didn't really... Uh, like I didn't really understand what was going on um, until a little bit later when I was in high school and a little film called Loose Change came out and uh, we learned about jet fuel and uh, yeah. But the thing is, is that at the time I was also very skeptical. So I read a lot of like debunking things, but that's kind of what got me interested in um, in conspiracy at all. But at the time, like uh, I feel that this was also before the 2008 financial crash when I start when I started, you know, developing or the beginnings of developing a kind of understanding of how class functioned. And so I think it's interesting because I was interested in 9-11 trutherism. I thought it was bullshit. And now (laughs) when I read stuff, I'm like, hmm, kind of makes sense. Um, Obviously, like 
there's lots of this is the thing with 9-11 trutherism it's it's kind of a you described it as a left-wing conspiracy theory i would say that there is a lot of different overlaps it's kind of basically like a a mirror you can see whatever you want to see in it and um yeah, like there's there's interesting things about like the financial trading that was going on. And, um, you know, I have questions about some of the stuff, but uh, it's not not necessarily that I think that, you know, the Bush did 9-11 like hashtag or whatever or joke or meme that's kind of arisen out of that. Um, I think it's a more complicated story than that. But there is no doubt um, that at the end of the day, the military industrial complex um and the you know apparatus of 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 U.S. intelligence benefited greatly from uh, 9/11. Yeah, they were able to massively extend their power and just suck you know trillions of dollars out of the, the American Treasury. Mm-hmm. But but I I mean I think the the natural transition is to 2008 right and the the fi- both the financial crisis and the election of Obama, mm-hmm. and there we have the reactionary right like losing their mind. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, they had been in charge for eight years with George H.W. Bush or George yeah, W. Bush. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and, um, you know, they just that's when they start to lose it. Right. And, and Alex Jones becomes even more prominent. You know, the ch- Glenn Beck's chalkboard comes out. You know, George Soros becomes, you know, the mastermind of everything, right, as opposed to just the Jews being responsible for mm-hmm. wanting to destroy the world. Now it's just one Jew. Just one. And and uh, and so it's not anti-Semitic anymore. Um, <laughs> it's very convenient. It, it sucks when people bring up the George Soros thing because, like, I don't want to defend George Soros either because he's like a piece of shit billionaire. Who cares, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, you get into some some tricky business with uh, the George Soros discourse, which I don't appreciate. Yeah, I mean, and yes, very much so, and. Uh, yeah, who wants to? Do, who on the left? Who gives a shit about George Soros? Like, if, <laughs> who is? I don't know anyone who's take, like who takes money from George Soros. I, I mean, it, at some point he must have given money to some causes. I haven't looked into it. I don't give a shit. He has, but but like, but it's not like it was a meaning. Not like it was like he was meaningfully trying to to like change the world right it was probably just like democratic adjacent bullshit right? it's it's just like uh i i imagine it's something like what bill gates does which is like launder his image um through you know charitable donations and whatnot and ends up actually making more money in the long run from these charitable initiatives that's what i imagine he's doing i don't know for sure though yeah i mean i who gives a shit about george soros but it's like <laughs> i i would bet good money that it was like simply just like consultants and like people adjacent to the democratic party like lining their pockets right like with a guy who donated a shit ton of money to the democratic party i mean that's the other reason why they hate him yeah exactly i also think something that's interesting about barack obama is that um i was listening to uh, jesse ventura my boy and uh he was talking about his theory that uh obama's mom was cia because they were in uh they were in indonesia during the 60s which i thought was very compelling yeah, the Bevins book I think mentions a bit about um, uh, his time in uh, in Indonesia very briefly. Yeah, his mother like worked for the embassy there or something, which yeah sounds us, but <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I think as we enter the the modern like the past five or six years or so now uh, and the election of Donald Trump, the and the kind of omnipresence of of social media, we really have entered you know conspiracy theories on steroids mm-hmm. uh, on the good steroids too 
and like and and we've seen theories on adrenochrome yes exactly and so we've kind of on the on the on the not the left actually let's say the center in the center we've seen the kind of rise of of Russiagate and of Putin as this kind of you know shadowy figure that wants to destroy the world and elect Donald Trump and do all these things and then on the right we've got Q which and Pizzagate which um at the core of Q and Pizzagate, again, is the thesis that there is an ultra-powerful circle of, you know, billionaire pedophiles, which is, again, not wrong, probably. <laughs> Definitely um, not wrong. <laughs> um, right? And, and yeah, like... The difference between me and the Q people is that um, the Q people believe that every rich person is a pedophile, uh, allegedly, and I believe that every uh, every rich person... Sorry, I'm going to try that again. <clears throat> The difference between the Q people and me is that Q people believe that every rich person except for Donald Trump is a is a pedophile and I believe that every rich person especially Donald Trump is a pedophile. There you go. I mean, yeah, like social media essentially starts melting the brains of every old person and all content is now flattened and the same where, you know, stuff from Infowars is treated the same as stuff from ABC News on Facebook, it all looks the same, right? And and these kind of factors, uh, this factor, I think, really kind of causes these conspiracy theories to go to go bonkers in the past few years. And 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 the other thing that's really, I think, caused the popularity of Q is really the like the gamification of it, right? Is how everyone who is into Q can be a part of Q and yeah. can kind of make their own Q riffs and become little Q micro celebrities and. Yeah. And, and you can that... become a baker where you interpret the drops and you can find out the secret messages hidden within. Yeah. And just for the folks who aren't aware of what QAnon is, because I, I know we've mentioned it a bunch here, it is a pro Trump conspiracy theory that posits that uh, top Democrats and anyone else essentially that Q people don't like uh, is a cannibal pedophile. Mm-hmm. Uh, that will soon be arrested and executed by Trump. And then a, a common trope in these things is the secret indictments or yep. uh, the fact that these people have already been arrested, but it just hasn't been released to the world yet. Yeah. And and QAnon's uh, rise to power, like real world kind of prominence is, um, you know, kind of weird when you think about how it started. It was really just a handful of posts on 4chan in 2017, uh, you know, claiming for some guy from Q claiming that Hillary Clinton would be arrested by the end of the month. It was, you know, November 2017 came and Hillary Clinton was not uh, arrested, but (laughs) that did not stop the popularity of this conspiracy theory. No, and Q is kind of an omnibus theory because it's, uh, you know, user generated pretty much because it's like this uh, emergent process. You can find anything in Q. There's different Q sex, right? So you like aliens, there's aliens in Q, baby. You want, you want new world order. You got it. Like there is a huge swath of things that, um, you can kind of go down in different things. There are, and there are divisions within Q too, just like, uh, amongst us, nine 11 truthers, there are divisions, um, where, you know, RFK, um, is he alive or not? That's a big one. <laughs> that's, that's a division. Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of uh, different things located within this like really vast terrain that people can kind of insert whatever it is that suits their own personal understanding of how the world works into. Yeah, and it's still essentially passive. Like all, all that Q is asking, or all that happens in the kind of Q galaxy is that people are are kind of posting more and kind of, you know, having their own twists and takes on digital things. soldiers. 
Yeah, but but it 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 does uh, it has manifested itself and Q has manifested itself in the real world, right? Mm-hmm. Like there have been uh, people. Wasn't there some like uh, crime mafia guy who got shot by yep. a Q a person? Mob boss, and... Yeah, got shot by a message from wh- wh- by a guy that was interpreting a message from Q that he had to uh, do that. A guy also drove a train off its tracks <laughs> because of Q. Yeah, and and I think it's worthwhile to kind of understand these things and know where they're coming from and no i mean you don't have to be like me or yen or laura uh who's like deep deep in the weeds but like to understand this stuff is important right because it is being used to kind of demotivate and essentially organize people who you know would uh, in an ideal world be uh amenable to some type of like class analysis and who would be on our side right mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that if folks want more information about Q, they should check out the fantastic podcast um, QAnon Anonymous that has basically been doing um, like on the ground uh, reporting about this since it emerged and um, just kind of like with lots of updates, like there are quite a few people running for Congress right now that are uh, QAnon supporters. And obviously there's, there's uh, variants within that. Some of them are true believers. Other, the other of them are just kind of using it as a political, um, as a political tool to, uh, or attract a certain kind of base. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this develops, but it's very much got a lot of um, DNA and in common with um, the kind of Mason panic uh, that we were discussing at the top of the episode. Yeah. And and I think this Q thing is really the, the ultimate of expression of kind of politics as spectacle, right? Instead of politics as an activity where we come together to affect change. And, you know, if you can't make change happen, you know, why not just sit back and enjoy it? Root for the white hats who are finally going (laughs) to unseal the indictments and arrest the bad guys who are eating baby brains. Yeah. You know, conspiracy theories are really just a way for powerless people to cope with and express their powerlessness, right? And the, mm-hmm. the opposite of conspiracy theories is class solidarity, mm-hmm. you know, class consciousness, good old dialectical materialism, baby. Mm-hmm. You know, conflict is caused by material needs. Rich and powerful people want to stay rich and powerful. And if you determine their motivations, you will kind of understand history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, word up uh, Karl Marx. And um, <laughs> Pretty smart guy, honestly. Yeah, and and the, the one of the better conspiracy theories out there, and really that class analysis is uh, really, I think, cleverly uh, talked about and kind of displayed in visual form in one of the greatest movies of the eighties, uh, They Live. Haven't You've seen that seen one it? yet. No. You haven't seen They Live? Oh my god, it's the movie with the rowdy Rowdy Piper and the like all we obey language and shit. I know so this good. is like this is like being on a date with any man to, or just like you haven't seen this. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you watched movies. Especially like, for like conspiracy lefties. <laughs> I'm well aware it's on the it's on the list. Okay. Uh well, I mean you maybe I mean you probably don't watch movies that like you don't have to because you you do like a movie review podcast where you have yeah. to watch a movie every week, but yeah. but please uh to be- get back to that to that class consciousness thing, like the only way to kind of deal with your sense of alienation is to talk about it with your family, your coworkers, and your neighbors. And ultimately you will find that the source of most of your fucking problems is your boss, the person who is exploiting your labor. And if you start from there, you can build the kind of skills that you need to actually change the world because you have to start where you work. 
and like that is that is the the the, the thing that I will leave you with. Uh, as we close, I think this is going to be the first part of a two-parter because we didn't even get to your story, Laura. We uh, <laughs> we will get to your story. There's in so the much. Second. <laughs> there's, there's so much to talk about when it comes to conspiracy theories. So, um, do you have anything anything to plug? Twitter accounts, podcasts. I know you are active with both, and any other things that you need to uh, to plug at the moment. I am active on the computer, so you can follow me at underscore Saturn Return. Um, I'm also on the Kino Lefter podcast. Uh, we do a. I have lots of theories on that one, which are uh, not fit to print. So you can um, check those out. My dark uh, multiverse solar flare theory is one of my favorites that I've concocted lately. So um, subscribe to our Patreon to gain access to. Uh, all the good stuff that we have back there. Yes, thank you. It is a very good podcast and I do listen to a lot of what they produce. It's very good. And I am a patron. Um, and if you like this podcast and you want to keep hearing you know, me and Laura talk about conspiracy theories more, as well as the other newsier things that we talk about, uh, in the second part of this episode, we will get to her story about the conspiracy theory that is embedded in the UCP's evisceration of our post-secondary system. A few things you can do, obviously. Uh, please share this podcast with your friends and family. Word of mouth and kind of like people talking about it is the best advertising. We don't pay for advertising, so please do that. Uh, leaving a review, uh, only five stars, of course. Uh, <laughs> as we all know, no one wants a four-star review. Except uh, no substitutions. <laughs> yes, exactly. And uh, and if you do like this podcast and you want to join the 300 or other so folks who help keep this independent media project going, you can go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons. Put in your credit card and contribute, you know, five, ten, fifteen dollars a month. We do really appreciate it. Uh, also, if you have any notes, thoughts, comments, things you think I need to hear, I'm on Twitter at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communist for the amazing theme. Thank you to Laura Cruz for being our guest. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Did you know that Progress Alberta is part of a national community of leftist podcasts on the Ricochet Podcast Network? You can find the Alberta Advantage, 49th Parahel, Kino Lefter, Well Reds, The Progress Report, Les Ficelles, Out of Left Field, and Unpacking the News, as well as a bunch of other awesome podcasts at Ricochet Media or wherever you download your podcasts.